welcome to Natter, the Zillennial podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Parent, and I am joined today by Julia Sorensen. Hi, Julia. Hello. How's it going? Good. Yeah. Wonderful. So let's just start off right away. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what are we going to be talking about? Um, well, what we're talking about is up to you. However, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I hope it will be relevant to who I am um, and... A little bit about me would be that I am the St. Albert Poet Laureate. Um, I'm a poetry coach, so I I teach the youths how to write poetry, which is as rewarding for me or maybe a little bit more than it is for them. (laughs) I don't know. Um, I am also a visual artist and a musician. I'm actually working on a collaborative project right now, music-wise, which is really (laughs) fun. Um... Yeah, I'm based out of Edmonton, and I'm a University of Alberta grad. I have an English major and a German minor, and also an arts and cultural management minor. Yeah. Damn, you're so impressive. Am I, though? <laughs> I like to think so. Well, thanks. So you touched on a lot of things that are super interesting to talk about anyway, so there's a lot to go through. So when the work that you actually do as a writer, as a poet, the work that you do as a teacher and also German. Hey, not a lot of people speak German over here. So that would be <laughs> interesting to dive into as well. Mm-hmm. At least not that I know of. So let's start at the beginning. When did you first get into writing or poetry? <sighs> this is an interesting question because I don't really know. Like it's, it's been part of my identity for essentially my whole life. Um, And so it's kind of hard to pick a point and be like, yeah, this was a turning point for me. This is when I started writing poetry. Um, I have been writing songs for longer than I've been writing poetry. Now I write primarily poetry um, because I think music is a lot more work. (laughs) So (laughs) so um, I have to be really in the mood for that. Um, But I've been... I wrote, I wrote tons of lyrics as a kid and, and melodies to go along with those lyrics. Um, one of the things that I remember that, that strikes me as this kind of important memory as a child writing poetry um, was I was over at my grandparents' house, so my mom's parents, in... Nanaimo BC so on Vancouver Island and I went there a lot when I was growing up I was born in BC and then moved to Edmonton or St. Albert actually um when I was a a wee bab so like (laughs) I I guess I'm Albertan um but I have really strong ties to BC and I always went over to visit my grandparents in the summer and there was one time that I was there and I don't know how it happened I don't remember how it how this came about but I ended up writing some of or reading sorry some of my poems to my grandmother and looking back on it and understanding who she is as an adult is kind of funny because when I was a kid I was like oh she thinks it's really good and she really likes it and now I'm like no she didn't (laughs) think it was good but she thought that I had the potential to be good at it because what she said was essentially like wow, like if you put some some work into this, like this could actually be a thing for you. Is this what you said? 
And as a child, it's probably good that I took it as only positive reinforcement. Yeah. And no, like, backhand at all. But, yeah, it's funny. I think I actually remember the, like, vaguely recall the poems that I read to her as well. Really bad. They're really bad. But uh, vaguely recall, could, could you recite a couple lines? Oh, no. no. I couldn't. I couldn't. I remember one of them was about time. And I was trying to wax, wax poetic and <laughs> philosophical as a, as a. You were real deep. Like nine year old or something I don't know when I was little I before I could write I remember talking to my mom once and I was like mom I need you to write for me and I had this song I needed her to write down I'd write a song and then draw a picture above it Mm -hmm. and one of them was giddy upper it's a brand new day and it was about horses but she wrote giddy up pony instead and I was like no it's giddy upper and like that's not even a word but I thought it was I thought it was freaking clever and like not a real word so therefore I'm Shakespeare um, Giddy upper yeah. skirt. I think we should. I think we should find <laughs> that and start using it. I like it. my four-year-old brain. Yeah, so I t- I totally get what you mean with all that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you start doing poetry. You start doing writing, and I know in my own school life, it was often like you know just English assignments, and I don't know. I was a real tryhard in school, and so I was always like, I need to write yeah. something amazing. And whenever it was like had to be presented, of course, it had to be doubly amazing. So you have to prove to everybody that you're like amazing mm-hmm. as well. Did you do that? Um, I guess I could confess to say that I was like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Generally, we didn't actually like one of the things that got me really focused on poetry was actually a school assignment. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, like we after that point there was really no poetry writing in school um and it wasn't really required in the classes that I was in um in fact often like in language arts Mm -hmm. as it was called when I was in junior high uh and and high school I think too I don't know but like it was you're you you mainly focus on on writing like utilitarianly um, so like essays and letters and stuff like that, um, which I'm, I'm not going to deny is like severely useful, but I also really think that like, if we're going to call it language arts and not just English, like <laughs> maybe we should have some, like there was always a creative writing component, but it was like write a short story and we're going to spend a week on it. Yeah. It's like, well, could we spend more than a week on it? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I think some schools are actually, at least in my experience, maybe that's because I'm working with someone who's as committed to poetry as I am. Um, but I think I, uh, what I see, at least when I, when I work with teachers, is that there is like this kind of renewal of effort into placing more emphasis on poetry and, and creative writing and as like, a, not only a useful outlet, but like also as a useful practice. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. Yeah. And how, how often do you work with teachers? Like, what are you working on right now? Right. So for the last three years, I've worked with um, Karen Mayhealy, shout out, um, <laughs> at Paul Kane High School to teach a, or like to coach, teach whatever, a poetry club um, once a week. We do that for generally the whole school year. Um, right now, I think we actually had like 
probably eight or so meetings, maybe a couple more than that. I don't know. We so we continued meetings um, during quarantine on Google Hangouts, which was really fun. Um, for the first couple meetings, like it always is. Yeah. You get like two students and they're like, hey, I'm stressed. And you're like, hey, me too. And then it's fine. <laughs> um, and it's just kind of a nice reprieve. But by the end of it, we were actually getting like eight or so people signing on every time, which was really, really good. Fantastic. Um, and it was and it was really cool because it was um, not what we would usually do. Like usually we would we would like read poetry we'd written or would do a writing workshop or would read something and talk about it, um, like read some poetry, and I'd give them a Coles notes on the on the poet and whatever, like try to, you know, know your ancestors, know your history. Um, but this time, because like everyone's super stressed, and of course, all of these high school students are still in high school right now, like trying to finish their grade 12 or trying to finish all the classes they were in, which would suck yeah um, just that would suck anyway so, sorry I'm being very like I'm trying to be really sympathetic with my students and I think that they kind of liked our like much shorter poetry meeting um to just kind of like hang out and be like hey I'm still alive I exist yeah um I'm like I'm doing it um and sometimes we'd talk about poetry and and read some poetry but generally it was so it was just kind of like a check-in mm-hmm. yeah I also really like to provide for my students as well like I think it's really important to have community when you're when you're like any age but especially when you're like in high school um and often the strongest communities are like the the more established ones right like there's like the band kids and the theater kids and and I don't know like the football players and and the sport people like but there's very rarely, in my experience, like any kind of writing club mm-hmm. or any kind of club like that is generally much smaller and harder to get into and harder to establish. But like these environments are really important for people. And I found that when I was in high school, like the poetry club that I was in was super integral for, for queer students in the school. Mm-hmm. We had a QSA. Um, but that could be a little bit problematic at times, I, I remember. And so, and it's also important for queer people to have a space where they can just exist and not think about being queer. And I think that- Yeah, and just be people. It's kind of like that as, or like at least in that instance, our poetry club was kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, PK, it just, it hasn't turned out that way, which is fine. Like I'm not upset <laughs> about that. Um, but yeah, that's kind of something I remember from my own high school experience, so. I've rambled on. Sorry. (laughs) No, no, you're giving these kids something that you didn't really have in the same way. And that's so valuable. I I really hear what you're saying because, yeah, there are like people who do sports are already on a team and they already have their people to bond with. But people who do and people in band, whatever, but people who do their own kind of art, even people who just are an acoustic musician or who's a visual artist. You can be in the same room, but it's not the same as actually having the open community and open communication with other people. So it, it is integral. And it also makes you such a better artist. Yeah. To have those people that you trust to bounce your work off of. Yeah, that's something that has been, I mean, I've learned lots of things and, and I think become a much better person 
Um, not that I was a bad person before, but I think <laughs> I've like become a much more well-rounded individual because of environments like this. And that's something that I s- super learned, I think, when I was in this process myself. So at, at Belrose um, High School in St. Albert, that's where I went to high school. And Karen May Healy was actually working there at the time. And she had a poetry club. So that's that's how I got introduced to the, to the whole thing. I think what we have now is kind of like a little bit different for a number of reasons, but I digress. Um, anyway, so one of the things, like I didn't, it's funny, I didn't actually join that poetry club of entirely my free will. Um, Mahili is really good. And I, I'm always going to refer to her by her last name because I was once her student. And so that's always who she is to me. But anyway, like yeah, she, she doesn't have a first name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so she, um, yeah, she was, she's very good at like recruiting kids and kind of like mm-hmm. initially manipulating them a little bit into being like, this is something you will be interested in. And then the kids like grumble until they get there. And then they're like, oh, yeah, this is good. And that was kind of me. Like I, I had this and I probably still do. I shouldn't say had in the past tense, but I, I had this huge ego at that, <laughs> that moment because <laughs> I was like, I've been writing forever. I, whatever, I'm really good. I don't need help. I don't need to improve. I can just, my grandma loves my work. Yeah. My grandma loves me. Like I'm good, but that is so not the case. That's so not the case. And even if like, cause I started going to that club really, really bad at taking feedback. Like I would take Mm -hmm. it as like a personal offense and be like, no, I, I have executed exactly what I intended and I'm not going to change this. Um, not a good frame of frame of mind. Plot uh, spoiler. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and but the only way that you can change that and start to understand that feedback is really important. And it, like you as a writer are, when it comes down to it, a little bit less important than your reader because how your reader comprehends what you've written is like really important because you're writing for an audience like if you're writing for an audience what your reader thinks about what you've written and what they glean from it um is arguably more important than what you meant because if they don't glean the same thing then you've kind of failed right right um and feedback and and a safe space to write and and get criticism um like uh constructive criticism is really really integral for writers and that's something that a club like this like really provides I think and that Mm -hmm. super helped me learn that as well when I was in it and I also have watched my students some of my students who like more protective of their writing like over the past three years like at the beginning be really really like no I wrote this I want it this way and I'm just like you're me you are me (laughs) and then (laughs) years later they're like okay I hear you. And I'm like, this is progress. This is <laughs> so and how do you build that, that trust between people with, with your work? Yeah, I think, um, and this is something I've learned along the way as well. Like, I think it really depends on who you are initially. Like it, I don't think this can be a formulaic thing because it depends on, because basically I think at the, at the base, it has to be really genuine. Um, and if you try and teach in a style or, or, or build trust in a, in a style of somebody else's, 
like per- that would suit somebody else's personality and not yours is not going to work because it's not going to feel genuine. So like you have to figure this out for yourself. Um, but I think there's like for me at least one of the things is that there's a balance between this like really really thin line to walk between yourself as an expert quote unquote or as the teacher as the instructor and um, the person across from you as a student um, because if yeah if they look at you like you're completely their equal and whatever first of all they're not going to listen to you like they won't shut up um, <laughs> when you want to talk and um, second of all they're not going to they're not going to look at you like you have something as valuable to offer. Um, but then also kind of developing a semi-peer relationship is really important because they need to feel like they have some kind of personal connection to you. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was always like a balance of, okay, we're getting distracted in this meeting. How long am I going to let this let this uh, happen for before I'm like, okay, let's come back to what we're working on. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think especially in a situation like this, probably the latter is a little bit more important than the former. And what I mean by that is like being personable and having a personal relationship with your students is probably in this case a little, like you want to put more focus on that than you do like establishing your dominance or something. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, you, sh- you really should be able to be like, okay, folks, this is what we're working on right now. And you need to stop and listen to me. Like I'm explaining something to you. Yeah. Um, and I think also that respect, like, comes in progressively. Like, you, ha- you have to establish a kind of, yeah, it, they kind of go hand in hand, like, the respect and the trust relationship. So, yeah. Finding the balance between all of those things. Yeah. You have to read who, who you're talking to as well. Like, yeah. It is such a pers- personal relationship. It needs, or personal work thing. It needs to have a personalized relationship as well. Well, let's dive more into, like, your work. Um, so basically the difference between when you first started with your music and everything and now, um, do you find yourself writing about the same things, being inspired by the same things or has that changed? Hmm. Yeah, that's super interesting. Cause I think, I think there's like, there's, for me, when I look back at what I've written before, I can obviously see this stylistic shift, especially because I am fairly young, um, a lot of what I've written, I wrote as a youth or like a young adult, which I would still classify myself as <laughs> 22, just about. So I can see that like stylistic progress happening really rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, and like when I was a kid, I don't know if I was making decisions like that. Like I'd want to write about something and I'd be like, okay, let's make it rhyme or like, okay, let's be angsty or something like that. Um, not to, not to like, say that what I was writing wasn't wasn't important because like the beginning of of your writing process is gonna suck and you're not gonna <laughs> you're not gonna make aware decisions about what you're doing but like mm-hmm. you just need to learn that with yourself like you sh- if you're starting to do something you really need to be kind to yourself in the first yeah. year you um especially if you're doing it as a kid because like you're you're gonna mature in a lot of ways in the first like probably 50 things you create are probably going to suck. Like, the, yeah, <laughs> that's, you know, you're going to look back on it and cringe, but you're also going to learn something in the process. So, mm-hmm. um, but so I, I don't, wouldn't really like look at the things that I wrote when I was super young and be like, okay, this is how I progressed from here because it, it, it's like a little bit, um, 
childish writing, of course, but like there are probably two main things that I see myself doing stylistically. Um, and one of them was when I was writing in high school, what I wrote was almost entirely slam poetry mm-hmm. and to provide some definitions um, in my understanding and my, my uh, perspective. Other people might have different perspectives. Slam poetry, I would consider to be a genre of poetry. Um, and so it's like fairly stylistically specific and um, topically specific. So often you end up writing about certain topics in a certain way, which is what a, like what a genre is. Like, that's just what it is. I'm not, I'm not trying to insult or anything at all. I think slam poetry is a really really awesome community like because that's a very strong poetry community and you feel like you're accomplishing something when you read and write slam poetry because it kind of comes back to the sport thing like it's a competition slam poetry is about competition and competing against other poets um and it can be a really really huge deal and I have won slam competitions and just felt like amazing about it Mm-hmm. But I, I think because it's so stylistically specific and topically specific, like there are some things that just don't work on the slam platform. And so I got to a point um, when I was writing where I was writing poetry that was no longer being successful in a slam environment. And I was like, why? This poetry is like just as good at least of what I was writing before but because it was different stylistically like I was writing in a genre it wasn't being well received and so at that point I was just like I'm not getting what I need out of this anymore um Mm -hmm. and I felt like I was failing over and over again and that was really defeating as as an artist um and so I decided to take a step back from that um and so I was actually Mm -hmm. talking to my 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 poetry club yesterday about this about slam poetry because some of them um are like you're you're our slam poetry coach and I'm like no I'm your poetry coach I want to make this environment open to everybody if you want to write slam poetry all power to you great I'll give you the resources to go compete (laughs) I think that's a great way to spend your time if that's what you want to do but I Mm -hmm. also think there are other ways of writing that are just as valuable and I want to make room for those in my environment. So I don't want you to call me a slam poetry coach. I want to be more general than that. I want you to be able to write something super strange and ambiguous and like really, really difficult to understand or maybe even nonsensical. Like I want you to be able to write whatever you want. Um, and not have any of those limits, just go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, like limitations are, are, are useful. Like if you have the entire like world open to you when you're just starting out or like you know sometimes it's 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 very useful to to kind of like focus yourself um and so yeah I think slam is really fantastic for that and also for the community like you get to know so many people and their struggles in the slam poetry community and it's like truly where I was brought up as a writer honestly Mm -hmm. um but yeah I'm not in that place anymore and so I um that's kind of I would probably when I'm talking about like my different styles as a writer like I would probably look at 
when I was writing slam poetry and what I was writing and the way that I was writing then and kind of past that point mm -hmm. as a writer. Yeah. If that answers your question, I have no, no idea. Yeah, it totally does. <sighs> um, when did you start going into short stories and writing storylines and all that outside of poetry? Yeah. So like I, it's fun, like in the same way that I've been writing music for a long, long time, I've also been writing, um, short fiction for a long time. So like short story and stuff like that. Like I, I've written that throughout my whole life as well as I was writing poetry. I think that lots of different kinds of writing feed off each other. So like, I, cause I was an English major, right? In university and I just graduated this April. Um, and it's, it's June now. <laughs> um, and I, I think that a, a large portion of why I felt successful when I was writing what I was for class. So in, in, in an English degree, you generally like analyze literature and you read for certain things um, and you read on certain topics and then you, and then you apply theory to it and, and kind of figure out how, how literature that you're studying can represent life and be useful to understanding life. That's kind of how I would describe an English major. And all of that is done through the essay um, and through the through the argumentative and and research essay. And so um, to like come back to your question, I think that all of these pieces of writing, like like writing nonfiction and fiction and poetry, like they feed off of each other. Mm -hmm. I don't think that a writer, even if they feel that way, is ever super categorized into being like, no, I could never write this way because there's there's just like a mindset that you get as a writer that is useful across all genres like so I think that part of what makes me a successful like non-fiction writer and fiction writer is that I'm a poet and vice versa yeah. because it's 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 about like how you understand symbolism and imagery and the world around you and like those understandings don't turn off if you're writing prose like they're still there <laughs> Just like, just like if I'm, if I'm writing about politics, like if I'm, or like if I'm writing an essay about that, if I'm, or something like that, like that awareness that I have of politics and, and my own opinions and understandings of the world around me, those things don't turn off when I'm writing poetry. Like those are very much present in poetry for me. So yeah, like I, I've been writing them simultaneously and I think, I think at the same time, I, maybe what I should say is I write I write fiction and nonfiction and poetry in tandem and simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So if I'm writing nonfiction, it's probably still at some point poetry or has a little bit of the feel of poetry just because like I I struggle to separate those things. Um, well, it's, it's just how your brain works and the way that you see the world is going to be brought into any art form you do. So anything that involves the written word is going to be affected the same way, I mm -hmm. suppose. And the things that I value in writing, like as well. So, mm -hmm. so sound and sonics and writing, like these are really, really important in poetry. Um, but I'm not going to immediately be like, okay, I'm writing an essay. I'm going to make this completely not sound good to me. Like, there's probably alliteration <laughs> in the essays that I write. And whether or not my profs hated that or appreciated that, I, I don't know. It probably made it <laughs> easy to read. Yeah, who knows? 
Well, that's so interesting because I don't think a lot of people realize how much self-awareness and awareness of your world that it takes to write mm-hmm. something down. The same way when people look at painters, they're like, well, how did you notice that many shadows behind the the orange you're painting or whatever? You know, like it takes a certain kind of awareness to be able to pick up on enough to recreate it in whatever form you're mm-hmm. using. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if I could say that better. Yeah. <laughs> let's um let's talk about your poet laureate stuff. How did that come about? Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I suppose that came about as a summation um of all of the things that I that I do, I guess. <laughs> um so yeah, I'm pretty new to the position. Like I was announced in May beginning of May. Um, I'm working on some projects right now with the library, um, which is part of what my job is, basically. I say job, but I mean, I get an honorarium for this. I still, I still um, it's not a job. It feels like it is, but it's not a job. Um, but so basically the way it came about in my mind is that I first of all, write a lot and have a really serious writing practice and intend to make a go of it as a writer and an artist. Um, that's like my probably main goal is to always write and have that be the forefront of what I'm doing with my time. Um, and then I also think that my community involvement is super integral to why they thought I would be a good poet laureate. Um, so I, I coach the, the PK poets. So like bringing poetry to other people is something that I really love to do and I think is important. Um, and I also I also do other things in the community. Like I, I, I mean, this is related to poetry, but I... I help run open mics and occasionally host open mics. Although I much prefer when Ari Zach does that instead of me mm-hmm. because hosting is a lot of work and it's hard to remember all the things all the time. <laughs> um, but I've done that a lot. And I run writing writing workshops in the community. I've done that in Morinville and St. Albert. Um, and yeah, things like that as well. So I, I try to be really active in... Um, participating in arts and also making it so that other people can participate in arts. So I also, I also am a member of the um, St. Albert Cultivates the Arts Society, which is an organization that organizes Culture Days, Alberta, so St. Albert's participation in Alberta Culture Days. And Mm -hmm. so I've like helped with paint parties and helped, um, organize lots of other events that we run like ukulele circles and things like that I've run my own writing workshops throughout there and open mics and stuff like that um so yeah basically I something that I do is like I take every opportunity possible to help um bring arts to the community especially in a really affordable way like culture days is for participants so there's that as well I also perform a lot like I I try to be um to do spoken word as as much as possible whether it be at open mics or like bigger festivals like skirts of fire or edmonton poetry festival um i actually performed at the first seven music festival as well in st albert that's oh, really? crazy yeah that was cool 
so yeah like I just try to show up as much as possible basically be out in the community and help people but also still be dedicated to what you're doing (laughs) that makes a lot of sense but holy crap that sounds like a lot of work um yeah I think it super is um but one of the really rewarding things about it is that most of the time it doesn't feel like work Mm -hmm. like it feels like something that I want to do that takes effort which I guess is the goal for work like you know so it's okay for me to be (laughs) super busy with it because I really in like it's it like satisfies me a lot and it's very fulfilling so yeah that's wonderful I love it how about performing when was the first time that you performed and how has that changed over the years as you've gotten more confident or changed styles that you're doing geez I have no idea what the first time I performed was it would have been music like musical theater or band or whatever um but I remember the first time I performed spoken word and that was because of Belrose that was because of Karen Mahili and the and the Belrose Poetry Club and I was in an open mic like I went to their open mic and performed this poem I certainly remember this poem (laughs) um I don't actually remember what it was called. It was one of the first things. Oh, actually, no, it was, it was, this is funny. So there was this, um, I, I have in my short life had some unwanted sexual experiences. And so, um, unfortunately, <laughs> this is a, this is a refrain that many women share. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that poetry and, creative writing kind of certainly helped me sort through that it would have been nice to also have a good therapist but yeah I can imagine um I didn't which is I mean what it is you know let's fund some mental health uh, anyway that was it's a side <laughs> but this poem was was about that and me trying to sort through that um and then I I was at the open mic and I just like got such such a feeling out of it I couldn't really describe it but it like it was super rewarding and also like to be able to have a platform through which to talk about that even if I Mm -hmm. hit it under layers and layers of of like metaphor and stuff like that like I was still articulating something that I felt was important to and then after that open mic I went home and I wrote this poem that became super, super important to me. And actually it was probably like the beginning of me starting to write slam poetry, Mm -hmm. which was huge. So that's the first time I ever read a spoken word. Um, That's very powerful. Yeah, yeah. You know, arts programming, man, is so important. important. Like when I perform now, it's usually at, at open mics that Ari and I are organizing and that she's hosting or at like, um a different festival or something usually I'm getting paid now which is sick is <laughs> um, something that we should definitely do more of not just mm-hmm. specifically although I would appreciate that I mean all artists <laughs> pay your performers yes we want money gosh darn it yeah I know <laughs> I know yeah the last time I I performed before all this all this COVID um the, the world ended <laughs> yeah contemporarily <laughs> Um, was actually at a precursor to Edmonton Poetry Festival at um, Harcourt House. Really, really fun. Zach Paulus 
Zach Polis, sorry, who was the um, poet laureate, the Santa Barbara poet laureate before me, invited mm-hmm. me to do it. And that was really, really fun. I ended up doing some poetry um, to music, which was a recent project that I completed. And you can listen to that on my website. Um, and then I also sang too, which was really nice. So I'm I'm lucky because I also got to perform directly before quarantine started. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> get your name out there, get all the fans, but they have nothing to do and nothing to do but tune into your website and uh, which we will talk about later don't worry um would you like to do a small shout out to Ari because you have mentioned her a couple times yeah hell yeah I would um so Ari and Zach is uh, a, a dear friend of mine and also a poet um she does photography as well you can find a lot of that on Instagram She's got like three different profiles though, so I don't know which one to like. <laughs> um, yeah, we were we went to Burroughs together and competed in slams together and have done um, several projects together. The most recent of which was this basically concept album slash uh, um, chat book, so like a short poetry book where we wrote some music, some kind of minimalist music, and then um, recorded our spoken word over it. And then we performed at it at Skirts of Fire, which is the Edmonton Women's Festival. Which I got to see and it was so good. Thank you, yeah. Um, So that's the most recent project we've done. She's also a fantastic host um, and super quirky and like the best person to have because She'll be doing her thing and introducing poets and then randomly make a communism joke, but it's like a coffee <laughs> joke. And yeah, so great. So great. I am very much looking forward to um, working with her again <laughs> when all of this <laughs> is over. <laughs> Collaboration is so underrated. Everyone thinks that you need to be like the genius and oh, it's like, no, agree. man, no. Super agree, especially because you don't like... I think even even I am kind of afraid of collaboration at, at certain points because I'm like, okay, hey, what if I have this this image of what I want this project to c- turn out to be, and then mm-hmm. that other person doesn't want that? Yeah. Like that? You just have to go into it with like an open mind and to understand that you are always going to compromise your vision. So as long mm-hmm. as you're okay with that, collaboration is great. Also, you get a bunch of different perspectives and you don't have to do all the work yourself. That's the big one. <laughs> I, like, I, I'm a musician in a band because doing it alone is just way too much. It's nice to perform music with a band because if you mess up, there's like three to four people over top of you that can pretend it didn't yeah. happen. You could just kind of back away and be like, look at this person. And the crowd will be like, okay, yeah, that guitar solo is cool or whatever. And you're like, yeah, I did not make a mistake. (laughs) That wasn't me. Speaking of not me, I don't speak German, but you do. And I know that that has been affecting, well, not affecting, it has been influencing your work a bit. Do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, for sure. Um, Where to start? I suppose, so I started learning German in my first year of university and just took it as language credits and then really liked the instructors. And I was like, screw it. Um, I can get credit <laughs> and also enjoy this and also like learn a language. Life's good. And so I ended up with a minor in it. And last summer, um, I had the incredible opportunity to work in Germany um, at a university in the um, 
English department, in one of the English departments, I think it was English American Studies is what it's called exactly. I'm simultaneously trying to remember and translate. So sorry if I don't get that perfect. Um, but yeah, so that was huge because I, I got to, I got to live in the place that I was um, trying to learn the language for, for three months. And it was super rewarding because I made a couple friends that I still Skype regularly and still message regularly. Um, also learned more of the language and was also made severely uncomfortable by the language and, and the cultural differences. And mm -hmm. yeah, so super interesting. Um, really, really great experience. If I would recommend to anyone, if they have the chance to do that and they have like, yeah, the privilege of doing it because it is, you know, you need, you need money and, and, um, <laughs> some kind of connection to do that. Um, so if you have the chance, would seriously recommend um, to go anywhere. But also it, yeah, it's really interesting to learn German for a number of reasons. One of them is because my grandfather is Danish. So my dad's dad um, is Danish. Well, he's Canadian now, but he was Danish. Um, this is funny how much emphasis he puts on that. Um, he emigrated from Denmark when he was 25. And that meant that he grew up when Denmark was under Nazi occupation. Oh, God. Yeah. And that's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. It is, um, to say the least about yeah. it. Anyway, and so one time we were visiting him, I think it was when I was in my second year or something. And my dad, who is lovely but sometimes not like amazing at reading the room um <laughs> was just like yeah like julia's learning german at university and my grandfather's knee-jerk reaction was why are you learning german um and that was something that kind of like stood in my mind for a little while because it it is kind of if we think about history it's a little bit incongruous um Mm -hmm. And although I would like to say that, like, I would love for history not to bear on the present, but it certainly does. And it certainly bears on, like, ancestry certainly bears on you. Um, and so that was, like, something that I kind of wanted to reconcile. And I actually spent um, probably half of the time of my work term last summer writing a creative nonfiction project um, about trauma and familial trauma and how trauma is passed on mm -hmm. and part of part of that like a large re reason of why I did that was because I was learning German and felt that that was this thing that I couldn't really reconcile and I decided that I couldn't be reconciled but that it wasn't really important to it was more important to like mm -hmm. acknowledge and accept the um dissonance yeah and and the familial trauma and just kind of like you know I, I don't know. Did the writing, um, while you were working on that piece, did that help you come to that understanding or was it more just something that happened as a byproduct? No, yeah. So the, the project is, so it's like this 30 page, um, qu like quasi academic, uh, cr really creative, very personal nonfiction um, piece. Although some of it is, some of it is, I guess, a, a little bit fictionalized because part of, 
part of the project is about memory and how memory is like so unreliable. Um, mm -hmm, but yeah. in situations of trauma, what like what actually happened is not really important, and how you remember what happened is actually important, even if you don't, even if what you, what your memory is is entirely false. Um, and so, yeah, basically the project like it's it's definitely a read, I think. Um, in my understanding and the people who have read it in their <laughs> understanding as well, but um, it's not it's not like normative nonfiction because. I set out a kind of thesis at the beginning and that it changes throughout the piece because mm -hmm. as I wrote the piece, I learned. And so you, you, as you read it, kind of realize that as well. There is no place for anyone to read this piece. It's called Inheritance <laughs> because I would like to get it actually pu published. But again, because it defies genre, it's a little bit difficult to get published. Eventually, yeah. eventually when um, I publish some other things, I have a little bit more of a reputation. Maybe people will trust me and that it's good. I don't know. How does publishing work within the literary world, especially like academic research side of it? Because I know like it's pretty easy to just submit to a regular publisher, yeah. but the academic side is different, hey? Yeah, I'm not well-versed at all in academic publishing. Um, I would still consider, like I, although it has academic qualities, I would not consider inheritance to be very academic like I would consider it to be okay creative nonfiction, although it it definitely has a lot of academic research um I've never had anything published academically <laughs> I just finished my BA I don't know um <laughs> but I can speak to the like creative publishing world a yeah, little sure. bit um basically with that you just you just like submit as much as you can and then mm. get used to failure. Yeah. So there's like opportunities that pop up regularly, like, like Amplify Festival published an anthology a couple years ago. So I have a couple pieces in there. Oh, nice. And also as a university student at the U of A, you can submit to Glass Buffalo magazine, which is a really nice like gateway to, to like meeting other people people who might be interested in, in, in you as an artist. Um, there's tons of, of creative writing magazines you can submit to. They're a lot more competitive for sure, which is also why I said you need to get used to failure and rejection. <laughs> that's <laughs> most of what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's kind of where I'm at as well. I, like I'm certainly an emerging artist. I'm not an expert at publishing. Um, maybe if I was, I would be more published <laughs> than I am now. Maybe. <laughs> um, I also think there's something to be said for self-publishing. Um, and what I mean by that is, is like printing your own stuff. So like mm -hmm. I have released four chapbooks, four of them, I think. And those I've all just like printed at Staples or um, subprint and... Um, sold at gigs, like sold at mm. open mics or festivals or stuff like that. And you can make a, a nice chunk of change doing that, which is which is nice. Some people don't like chapbooks, but... Can you explain what a chapbook is for anyone who d hasn't heard of it before? Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know this very niche jargon, yeah. I can do that. <laughs> Sorry about that. Basically, a chapbook is like... Um, 
a very short poetry collection, usually self-printed, like usually not officially, officially, officially published. So like it's self-published. Um, and basically they contain approximately like 12 poems ish, usually maybe a little, mm-hmm. more, maybe a little bit less. Um, yeah. And you just print those yourself and you do with them what you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what they are. Cool. Mm-hmm. Hey, everybody. This has been part one of my interview with Julia Sorensen. Check in next week for part two. Take care of yourselves. Show everyone some peace and love. All that cool stuff. See ya. Thank you.